welcome to the show and thank you for taking the time to listen to my show. This is a really fun one for me, something a little different. We have Sergeant Detective Jim McSorley, a.k.a. Nako Nolan on the show today. And you'll recognize Nako from the new Netflix documentary, Crime Scene, Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. And that's the miniseries about the Elisa Lamb case. And so, of course, we're going to definitely cover that. But it was really fun just asking Nako all these questions that I always wanted to ask people of law enforcement. Like, how do you get out of a speeding ticket? How do you deal with dead bodies? Uh, what do you think of the defund the police movement? And he had great answers for all of my questions. So I really enjoyed this interview. Nako is really just a good dude from what I can tell. And as much as I love interviewing musicians and I'll continue to do that, it's really fun to break it up with something totally different. I was a big fan of this documentary that he was in and I'm, I'm just very interested in law enforcement. And now I'm a big fan of Nako. So I'll probably have to have him on again at some point, but for now, Check out this interview, and you let me know what you think. Well, welcome. Uh, do I call you Nako Nolan, or do I call you yeah, Detective Jim? Nako's good. Nako. Okay, yeah, so Nako's welcome. good, my nickname, yeah. Nako to the Chuck Shoot Podcast. So yeah, so you grew up in uh, Queens, New York, and you're a kid of the 70s and 80s, and like you're into music too, and like Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin, and you played in bands. So tell me about that. Yeah, just, just real quick, when I see the Seattle Seahawks, I think oh. of one, uh, Duff McKagan. And then uh, Jerry Cantrell, the huge uh, Seahawks guys. Or do you know them? No, no. Oh. I, I have met them a few times and have oh. uh, good friends that are their friends. So just, you know, via osmosis. And they're both super, super awesome guys when I finally did meet them. Yeah. And we'll have to get, if we have time at the end, you've got to tell your Axl Rose story. I, I heard that one. That was pretty <laughs> crazy. Yes. Yes. That was a good one. So, um, oh, I'm sorry. Like, um, so what were you saying about? Yeah, so you uh, grew up in Queens. You're you're an LA detective now, but you actually are from New York and Queens, New York, and the kid in the '70s and '80s. I mean, that's like the highlight or the uh, the peak time for music, I think, in my opinion. So like, you, you're you must have seen some yes. good concerts. Or you play guitar, or what was your instrument? Yeah, I play. I started playing guitar, and then uh, and within the last couple of years, I started uh, dipping around with bass. And then a good friend of mine just the other day offered me an electronic drum kit. He says, "Hey, you interested hmm. in uh, in uh, you know taking a drum kit off my hands?" Oh, yes, definitely. I've always in my band in my basement. Uh, our drummer had uh, housed his kit there, so when I when he wasn't around, I was always um, messing around on his drums. So oh. something I've always been interested. in. I love love drums and uh, musicians uh, in general. Uh, was you know was drawn to that. So I said, "Yeah, definitely, I'll take those drums off your hands." So right, I'll pick those up next week. But so it was the movie French Connection that really changed yes. your life, right? That's when you decided you wanted to be a cop. But I mean, I feel like every kid goes through, I'm going to be a cop phase. So why do you think you stayed with it, whereas everyone else kind of grows out of that? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, just usually whatever I sink my teeth into, I'm, I'm sticking with it for the most part. Okay. And, was there other TV it, shows and movies that influenced you that were like, like police? I mean, so again, seventies and eighties, I feel like there was a ton of good movies and TV shows about that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that was, that was the, that was the, uh, that was the genre right then. Right. And then, you know, TJ Hooker like, and the, you know, Columbo, Hill Street Blues. I mean, yeah. Yeah. The list goes on. What's on. the one with uh, Johnny, uh, Johnny Depp, uh, 21 Jump Street. Yes. <laughs> he's a big musician. Yeah. Loves, that's uh, right. He's a big hard rock guy. Keith Richards guy. Yeah. Um, 
So then did you become, you be, when you became a cop, did you start in New York or did you start in LA? Yeah, I started in New York for a little bit and then uh, rolled out to LA and then came back to New York. It's it, that's a whole other podcast. Okay. And now I'm here in LA. Okay. To stay. But when that's you, it, so yeah. when you start out, you, you can't, you can't start out as a detective. I remember actually kind of exploring this a little bit in college and talk, they said they kind of have to, and it's not like you get a different degree. It's like, you just get a promotion, right? So you start out as a plane or a, a uniformed police officer. So you must've done like pulling people, people over and stuff. So let's clear this up right now. What is the best way to get out of a speeding ticket? Just to be, um, humble, honest, and a, a little, a uh, little humor goes a long way. It's like anything else, you know, how do you, how do you get anything in life? Just being a good person, being honest, transparent, um, you know, falling on your sword when you do something wrong, owning up to it. When someone lays all those out, Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to get a ticket. I mean, obviously there's hardliners out there, usually guys on motorcycles, but in, 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 for the most part, from what I've seen, if you just like, Hey, you know, just being completely honest, like, Hey, I'm really sorry. And not giving like a BS, you know, I got to go to the bathroom or something. It's like, I, I know better. Have you heard a lot of crazy excuses? Like what's the craziest excuse you've heard for speeding? You know what? I I was never like a ticket cop. If I was pulling you over is because I knew you were dirty. Oh, gang member. (laughs) Okay. You know, whatever a traffic infraction that was, that was just my gateway to develop other things. Right. So then, yeah, you worked as a vice cop and you went undercover for, I think you said a year. Is that, that's gotta yeah. be freaking scary, right? Are you allowed to talk about that? Like, like what style, uh, clothes and haircut do you do? And then, I mean, I would just think you're living in constant fear doing that. How do you deal with that fear? Uh, at that time, I mean, we, we drank a lot, <laughs> you know, that was part of the culture. Um, you know, lived the straight edge lifestyle now, but back then, yeah, it was a lot of hanging out in bars and to decompress, which definitely is not healthy. If I had to do it all over again, do they try to and, get you to uh, do drugs though? And then what do you say? Cause you don't want to say, no, I don't do drugs. Cause then they might, they might think you're a cop, right? Or so you have to do the drugs. No, you, you have your standard lines. Like, Hey, you know, um, I got a big day tomorrow. You know, I got to pee for my parole officer or whatever. I can't party, man. Next time I'll, you know, we'll try, you know, parole officer. I like, that's a good one. Yeah. You just come up, you know, with, you know, whatever, you know, and you know, you, you have your like stock lines for those, type of situations here or like, like, Hey, you know, last I was, you know, I've been on a tear and my old lady's fucking pissed at what pissed off at me. If I come <laughs> home loaded again, that's it. I'm done. And, you know, everyone's in a relationship where, yeah. you know, the other half has had enough of their, you know, their, their, uh, act. And, um, and you know, so they sympathize, you know, did they, did you ever almost get called out though for, did anyone ever sniff out that you might be a cop? Uh, not where it was anything dangerous, but, you know, usually, you know, that their defenses are always up no matter what. And ever to them, everyone's a cop. They're always living that paranoid, you know, um, that, that living on that edge and uh, the vigilant roller coaster. They're always at that, that op tempo. So it's just a paranoid lifestyle. So you just, you just talk your way through it. You're like, oh yeah, I'm a cop. I'm here to buy drugs. Yeah. You got me. Come on, man. You're like, just give me the shit, you know? And so, okay. So casual about it. You know, you, you know, once it's like anything else, mm-hmm. when you deal with another animal, when you start showing fear, you know, they sniff out on that. So you really, you could, you could be heightened, have a heightened awareness, but you, 
you can never be afraid when you walk into a situation. Is that so? Yeah. See, I think I could never do that because I'd be like shaking and freaking out and I'm not a good like liar. So is that something like just your personality? You have a a calm demeanor or they teach you those kind of tricks in the in the uh, force? It's a little bit of everything. You you definitely need a good personality to, to to blend into that environment. And then hopefully you get linked up with some good mentors, you know, older guys that have been through that have done that and they know the tricks of the trade. Mm -hmm. And then after that, and then everything else is, you know, improvise, adapt and overcome. And, you know, hopefully it works out. I mean, it's, it's a gamble. But you, you wanted to do that stuff, right? Like you didn't want to just be like a regular, uh, uniformed cop pulling people over for speeding. You wanted the more like exciting, I would say dangerous part of the job, right? Absolutely. I always want to be that first guy through the door. I want to be the, you know, I wanted to be the guy, you know, that was buying whatever. And, uh, yeah, I didn't, I knew the uniform part of it was going to be small portion and I did love that. It was great. So, you know, it's like a yeah. pure essence of policing, but I always knew as since a you know young kid that, uh, I'm going to be a plain clothes cop, you know, working organized crime or narcotics, whatever it was, I was going to be in a small unit with a bunch of guys, like-minded individuals. And we would you know, take down hardcore, you know, criminals and have fun doing it. So it's fun. Is it kind of like an adrenaline rush for you? At times. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, you're playing Cowboys and Indians. It's like a kid, you know, cops and robbers. <laughs> right. You get yeah. paid for it. So mm-hmm. I think any job that you have, it has to be fun. I mean, even if you're an accountant or whatever, I yeah. mean, you, you, it has to, it has to land with you. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think anyway, for me to have a, long lasting productive career mm-hmm. it has to be rewarding in some in some fashion so no. the funness is definitely one and then you know a betterment toward a you know a safer society and you know having an impact turning yeah. people's lives around that's all part of it so but that 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 fun dangerous element definitely as humans we like pushing that edge i mean yeah. think about it when you know space exploration think about how sick that is like there's something that in our human psyche that says Oh yeah, I see that moon. I see these planets. I want to get there. I mean, it's crazy when you it really is think crazy. about yeah, it. You don't right. belong there. <laughs> but we're put, as humans, we're constantly pushing that limit. So, uh, working in that environment, yeah, you, you crave that adrenaline, and you you want to see. I, I think I could get over on this guy. I think you know, <sighs> we'd I'd go into some places where uh, we um, worked him before and arrested him, and like come back six months later, like unbeknownst, they've changed locations or whatever. And it's the same guy. You're like, I think, I think I could do it again. He's not going to recognize me this time, Yeah, and, which is kind of dangerous, but you know, okay. it, it, it tests who you are. You know, that's uh, yeah. life's about those challenges. See what you're made of. Yeah. So you, you know? said that you, you've kind of had some Irish luck. You've never had to use your firearm. So that's good. But you said you had encountered some really scary people. Like you've come face to face with murderers. And you said, this is an interesting quote. I heard you say you could smell the hate. What, what that's, oh, yeah. that's really creepy. What is it? What does that smell like? Yeah, you know, the hate and fear. I mean, you could just, I mean, it's like, um, how do you describe a, what, what a dead body smells like? You just, it's, it's unique. You can't describe it unless you smelt it. So yeah. that, that fear and hate element, I mean, you could, you could, I mean, it's, it's really tough. It's just something that's very unique and you know, there's something wrong. Right. And but so, yeah, you don't smell that all the yeah. time. How do they so train you? Yeah. How do they train you to see the dead bodies? Cause that's something you obviously had to encounter in the police. 
is there is it just kind of a thing where you just get used to it after seeing it so often or is like is there techniques that you use or i mean when i just worked nypd they would um when we were in the academy they would bring you down to the city morgue uh the medical oh, really time as an office it was called so you'd actually you know see dead bodies and see autopsies being performed so that's that's like your baseline but oh, okay you know it's nothing like when it's you know august in the summer in an airtight apartment when someone's been you know cooking in there for for a while um like i i described on um you know the netflix yeah didn't you say somebody looked like grimace from the mcdonald's guy i mean it was the only way i could describe it It it's just a big purple blob of a person that was not formed or shaped like a person and do you take that home with you does that fuck with your head later you know, it's got to, you know, you kind of try to compartmentalize it, but after a while, the abnormal starts becoming normal, which huh. probably isn't, isn't a great thing. Yeah. But it just, humans are resilient and we adapt okay. to our environment and you have to have those uh, good outlets to, you know, f- to experience good things in life. So, right. you know, now I'm into uh, martial arts, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, yeah. you know, um, ice baths, uh, you know, tr- hiking, uh, reading like crazy music always has been my outlet books. So try to stack as much positive things to tamper okay. down and mitigate the negative thing. That's so good. That's yeah. That's the best advice. I that's can give to that's great advice. There. And then, so tell me about, I know you can't really talk about this, but you did counterterrorism for the FBI. Yes. Did they, yes. did they recruit you for that? Or is that something you applied for? I'm picturing more like a men in black thing where they just like show up and, and they get you or how does that work? Yeah, you definitely don't uh, come knocking on their door. Okay. I was working, I was working in um, like an intelligence um, unit, and they see how you're operating, and then you're being groomed for it without you mm. knowing it. Oh, and then just one day you get that uh, that tap on the shoulder of, "Hey, uh, would you like to work the Joint Terrorism Task Force? I think you'd be really good at it." Wow. And say yes. That's a pretty big compliment. Is that a big raise too? Uh, not a monetary, but in like perks, you get a take home car. Oh. Um, there was a whole bunch of, uh, overtime attached to it since you're working lengthy cases, you know, a little bit of prestige or whatever. Okay. I mean, yeah. that's just all, all ego stuff, but, sure. uh, you get a top secret clearance you have to get, I mean, you have to, they make you, make you jump through hoops to do it. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, non-disclosure forms. I mean, sure. That's why you, serious yeah, thing. you can't talk about it so. too much. So, but in terms of like probably some things you learned there and then also as a detective and probably just regular, um, part of the regular police training interrogation techniques, can you tell, like, can you tell when someone is lying or if they're guilty after you ask them a certain number of questions or interrogating, or sometimes you interrogate them and then you leave going, you're just not sure. Yeah. You could be positive about something. You could be negative or you could be inconclusive where you you say, yeah, I'm just not sure about that. And if you're dealing with a true sociopath, they really don't know that they're lying, but they are. Hmm. And they could show like zero signs or display any symptoms. So that's really tough if you're dealing with like an apex predator. But if you, hmm. if you know you're dealing with that, you know, for the most part, they're going to be lying about things. So you've got that. Yeah. And but, then you catch them in lies as you're, because when I watch a lot of those kind of forensic file shows, it seems like they'll catch them in these lies where the things don't uh, sync up. Right. Right. Okay. And it's, you know, those little tactics you could do on people in your own life. Uh, you know, I have someone simple things like, you know, say, Hey, Chuck, tell me your life story. And you go through it and you're like, tell me it from today and then go back. 
So a lot of times people can't remember in reverse their lies. Oh. You're like, say, how was your day today? And you go, oh yeah, I woke up and did this then. And then you're like, all right, tell me, you know, and then, you know, you you word it differently, but all right, let's go back again refresh my memory. I got to get this straight. So let's go back. So what did you do, for, you know, before we got here and then walk it back to the morning. And then oh. that's when you, that's when you catch some lies. So you, for that reviewers out there, try that on your kids. That's so, cool. That's a up. nice little, that's a cool little tip. So Okay, well let's let's talk about the Cecil Hotel doc. Um, first, let's just talk about that area, the the Skid yes. Row. So, because it's actually technically not your case, the one that's in that uh, documentary, but they interview you because you've worked Skid Row. So, I mean, gosh, I don't even know how. What do we talk about here with this? Like, you, I mean, you sounds like you saw some crazy shit. You saw a guy bite a a, li- a head off a live pigeon, and blood squirting out of the pigeons. Yeah, to even think about the Aussie nexus. I know you had some guys from. Uh... Ozzy on them. Yeah. And uh, all those other cats. Yeah. Rudy, I had Rudy Sarzo. He was there when that happened and he told the story. It was blew my mind. It's still crazy, but that's right. Oh, that's right. He was there. Yeah. Yeah. That was in the Randy era, right? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So you saw that. that This is not a rock concert. This is just a, (laughs) it wasn't a dove. It wasn't, it wasn't at a boardroom. It was in the middle of the street. That guy had to been on something, right? Yeah, because, you know, when you're seeing somebody doing something wild and they know it's wrong, you know, they'll, they'll acknowledge it and try to hide it. Out in Skid Row, they, they're, you know, like say if you would, I don't know, say someone's masturbating in public, whatever. If you see them and or catch them, they, they know they're going to cover up or whatever. Someone doing down in Skid Row, they're so in another dimension. They're, they're looking like if I'm looking at you, they're looking beyond mm-hmm. you know, like a um, thousand yard stare, they call it. So I'm looking at this guy, he did this freaking pigeon and blood squirting everywhere and we're like just looking at him he's like not even acknowledging us he's just going to town in his own world doing his own thing and it's <sighs> the same for when someone's in a, a fit of rage and they're trying to kill somebody you know you could be trying to pull them off screaming at them giving them commands they just they just have tunnel vision they're locked into their mission whatever they're doing their rage and there's no way out of it and that's why a lot of times you get these um, you know police involved shootings where Someone's uh, giving commands and, you know, drop this, you know, drop that, don't do this. And they're just out of it. All their auditory skills are, um, are impaired. I mean, they just have like this right. much. They're using like the, the lizard brain. So. so so what is the solution to that? How do we fix that problem? I mean, I feel like I don't hear the people having these discussions. I, I see these things on the news and it's either anti-police or pro-police, but is there a way to come, you know, to, to rise above this and and fix this problem? I mean, is there something that the cops can do that not using guns, using the tasers and stuff or? No, unfortunately we're like the end result. It's like, how do you stop cancer? And you, you're leaving it up to the doctor. that has got to perform surgery on the cancer patient. Like he's at the end of the line. I mean, the prevention and everything else, you got to walk that back all the way to childhood and parents. Hmm. So by the time it gets to me on the street, you know, asking me to, um, you know, deal with the situation to, uh, to limit or mitigate the homeless problems. Like that's, we're at, we're at, at the last stage. We're on Z. You got to go back to A, B, C, D, and E. That's, mm. that's not my thing. So that this is a, this is a societal problem. It's not a police problem. That's but when it yeah. gets down to, you know, the hands on nitty gritty where we, we get to, you know, we get to X, Y, Z, you know, unfortunately we're out of options. So it's, you know, unfortunately, you know, jail, prison, um, and a hospital. I mean, those are our only options right now. So 
they, but it's we're easy. We're an easy scapegoat to push it all onto us. Like, hey, we're a visible um, form of government and kind of low hanging fruit to pile on us and say it's our problem. But you got to go back to the very beginning of how these people got damaged. So, so I mean, it's like, it, yeah. So it's in your humble opinion, I mean, because it's such a problem with the homelessness in these big cities, like with the skid row. I mean, that's just one. I mean, my hometown of Seattle, they've got huge uh, homeless encampments there, too. And it's I mean, a lot of these people are mentally ill and or on drugs. And um, I mean, there's yeah. there's a documentary called Seattle is dying. That's it kind of shows some. Great. Yeah, it's a great documentary, but. It's so, so what, what, in your humble opinion, what do you think the solution is to this? Is, is there a solution? Yeah. Well, I mean, we got to look at how we're overly medicating children. I mean, you got to start from the beginning of parents, you know, the breakdown of the, the family structure mm-hmm. of uh, two parents working nonstop. They have kids, but they're not really paying attention to the kids. And then, and then the kids start looking for outlets and start acting up because you're not giving them enough attention. And then when said, you know, that lid overflows. Oh, let's take him to the doctor. Oh, he's got ADHD. Like, no, he doesn't. He's just, he's a, he's a kid who needs attention. That's not, not, then you're not, you know, having a, a successful output for directing that attention. So now he gets prescribed medication and now he gets uh, shoved into school where he can't concentrate and his grades go down. So his grades go down. So he gets lumped in with the kids that, um, that really are bad kids. And then they get into mix, they start doing things. And then, you see where it's going. It's, you know, downhill slope. So, you know, it all comes down to raising successful kids and, you know, that, that falls on the parents. They got to own that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, no, I saw, I worked in know, the and, education 17 years. So I saw that I, know, I saw exactly what you're talking about where kids are just struggling. And, and as a school, you're like, you can only do so much as a school. It's really a lot of it comes down to the parents. Yeah, as a teacher, you only have them, you know, for uh, was it, you know, six hours or something, you know, yeah. five, six hours, depending on the grade. And they got and, 30 um, kids too, so they can't spend all their time with right. one right. kid. So, anyway, so that area, Skid Row, is, is a nightmare. And so, this woman in 2013 goes missing. And um, I think they said in the, in the uh, Netflix documentary that 20 homicide detectives were storming the hotel looking for clues, looking for her. Is, is that common that they would usually have 20 detectives when it's a missing person? Or is that just because it was a high profile case? It was a high profile case, but if there is the major task at hand, you know, usually on the first day, whoever's on, you know, whoever's at work that day, you know, it's all hands on deck and everyone gets swept up. Hey, we got to do whatever it is, you know, homicide, missing persons, shooting, you know, whatever that's major tasking. And since it was a hotel, you know, each of those rooms needed to be, uh, looked into. And since it's a high risk location, even more so if it was, you mm. know, like a Ritz Carlton or some place like that, maybe not so, but with a place housing a lot of apex predators and felons and what have you, it was like, there's a good chance he's in one of these rooms here. So that's why they put a, all the heavy hitters on that one. Okay. Yeah. Cause you said, um, I think, or I don't know if you said this, I, I read this somewhere that the big media cases like OJ Simpson and Robert Blake, they go to a, actually a special division. I think, did you say it was called the robbery homicide division? Yes. RHD robbery homicide division. So they're all seasoned detectives that have the luxury of working intensive cases. Of course, the caseload is very low. Okay. You know, you don't get a lot of high profile cases that need, you know, extensive investigation. So they have time and the resources to just dump a whole bunch of bodies and throw the resources to 
drill down that problem or investigation. Did, so, did you ever work a high profile case or can uh, you say, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I have, um, you know, I'd, uh, Courtney, I wasn't, yeah. Courtney love, uh, when she was going through her, um, you know, um, a spike of arrests and altercations, you know, when, when she was just going on a, on a roll, oh. that was one of my cases with Courtney love. And it looks like, well, thankfully, you know, she got past that phase and you don't hear about her anymore of yeah. picking up dust anymore. Whatever happened I with her? What, I know what she was up to, but. Do you think she you know, killed Kurt Cobain? No. no <laughs> I mean. Okay. Well, <laughs> you would know yeah. you're the homicide detective. So. I mean, you know what? What I tell people though is with these is unless you were there, no one knows. Unless you physically, you know, you were there and saw it. Yeah. No one knows. All True. we're doing is putting together. Uh, educated guesses, more or less, based on science and evidence and all that. But even that, I mean, you just don't know. Right. So that, so, that yeah, just my yeah. opinion. I mean, it's like anything else, a, a drug addict just going down the tubes and yeah. history of depression. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, the greats get, so many greats get taken out like that. Yeah. So, so. that's a good point about the evidence and the, and, you know, people are coming to these conclusions. But so when we talk about these internet sleuths, like there was another documentary that don't fuck with cats where they kind of helped out, I think, but I feel like in yep. this, in the, in the Netflix, the, uh, uh, the Cecil hotel documentary that you were in, I feel like the, the sluice kind of like screwed this guy over the morbid guy who was the death metal musician. I mean, they like ruined his life and it sounds like he didn't have anything to do with this. Right. Right. Well, I think that's very indicative of, you know, the online culture right now that we're experiencing, like, when someone gets an X on them, whether right or wrong, and based on human, I mean, we just base these opinions based on like uh, human patterns. Mm -hmm. So we see some guy that doesn't look like everyone else, you know, wh wh whatever it is. And then people start putting these pieces together of, of um, a foreign girl in a, in a, in a big town, small town girl in a big town and um, things go wrong. She meets some guy and then you put all these things. Yeah. It's happened in the past so many times out we immediately go there. Right. And then when we're confronted with the opposite, our brains can't configure that. And we're like, no, it's got to be a conspiracy. It has to be this it has to be that. Cause it's not fitting at a plus B equals C. And unfortunately, you know, the, the, the way society is going online right now, if you get targeted, I mean, you got deplatformed and, you know, doxxed yeah. and everything else. I mean, horrible things. I mean, you could just say, Hey, I think Chuck did it. You know, here's the information. Here's why. And then you just move on. But now, I mean, it's completely, they want to ruin your life from ev every possible <sighs> angle. So I think that's it's scary. one of the lessons of that documentary is like, yeah. even if everything fits, you still have to sit back and, and think for yourself and say, you know, I think Chuck did it, but I may be wrong as well. Right. Yeah. Because it is suspicious. He was staying there. He's obsessed with death. I mean, there was definitely a lot of coincidences, but ultimately there was literally no evidence and I think a lot of those kind of guys that are into that stuff, that's kind of the, how they express those dark emotions is with music. Absolutely. It's an outlet. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're a horror fan. Oh right? yeah. And, um, you know, you know, metal aggressive music and to mainstream society, it's, that's not mainstream. So when they mm -hmm. see that, they're looking like, Whoa, what, what is this guy? Guy's got long hair. You know, mm -hmm. this is crazy music. He's got masks on something wrong with him. Mm -hmm. he doesn't look like me. He doesn't fit again. Right. That pattern. What I see in my neighborhood, in my family, no one does those things. It's gotta be something wrong with this guy. So 
Hmm. There you go. I mean, everyone talks about racial profiling, but just that's what humans do. We just, we're constantly putting patterns together. It's like those little, little things when you read a paragraph and you're just reading past those words that, um, that are linked in there and, you know, how many V's are in this uh, paragraph and your mind just skips over those things because it's already implanted with what's supposed to be there. And that's, that's all life is. It's, um, it's like we're, we're driving. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you could be doing a million different things, but your 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 brain's already locked into certain patterns. So, yeah, it's all about rec- recognizing that and you know, coming down to being humble and saying I, I might be wrong. Like you and said, if we if people take a step back sometimes and go, okay, let's not jump to conclusions and figure out what the yes. evidence is, and yeah, hopefully, I think was there a happy ending to that? I don't know what if that is that guy back online or is he still banned from there? I sure hope this gave him some publicity where he you know, propelled him a little yeah. bit, got some attention. Yeah. And that's um, good that yeah, they, it's kind of like the things just, yeah, people get destroyed and they just go on to the next thing. It's like, <sighs> no, you're dealing with humans. Like, you yeah. might see him on a little phone, a screen or whatever, and you're typing away like a maniac, but this is a real person. Now. Right. Yeah. I heard he was in the interview, he talked about how he was suicidal at one point. He oh, felt sure. so bad. I mean, yeah. uh, for musicians, I mean, uh, YouTube and all these other platforms, that's their livelihood. Yeah. So for sure. You know, so, I don't know if you can answer this one, but so for the Lisa Lamb, her roommates, because I guess she had roommates at one point and they said she was acting very strange. Why did they not interview the roommates? Do you think the roommates declined being in the uh, uh, documentary? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 always tough to get the, the main players on these. Um, oh. Like uh, one of my good friends was the actual lead investigator and him and his partner, you know, they take these investigations to heart. They're dealing with the, the victim's family and... Um, so they don't want publicity, you know, it, it reopens old wounds mm. and stuff. So, um, you know, they top notch people, you know, and same thing with, you know, other witnesses or other victims out there. And they, they just don't want to relive that. And I, I totally get that. So when you're a producer trying to wrangle all these different people, you know, sometimes you hit, sometimes you miss. Well, and then what so are the I'm rules? Sure they, yeah. I'm sure. They tried though. Sure. That's, they definitely did that. And what are the and rules people, for you guys in terms of, like talking about the case, like if you, I know it's, it wasn't your case, but if it was your case, can you describe all the details of it? Or are there certain things you're not supposed to, or is it all public? How does that work? Yeah. If you're um, active duty, you have to, if you're going to identify yourself with a particular agency, you have to get permission from like the uh, media relations people. Oh, and they're okay. very, they're very picky on who sure. they authorize to speak on behalf of the department. Okay. So I can't say what agency I work for. I could just say, I'm a detective in Los Angeles. Okay. Gotcha. So, so yeah. Uh, so back to that case. So she's, she's in the elevator we see this video, she's pushing all the buttons and, um, you think that, or, I mean, I guess this is the theory that was she hallucinating? Is that what it was? She was seeing and hearing things that weren't there. And she, even though she wasn't on drugs, it was probably mentally in her mind, a mental illness hallucinating. Yeah, you know, when people are on SSRIs or any other type of medication, and if either you know just starting it or cycling down, I mean that's it's it's an imperfect science medicine. I mean everyone says believe in science, but look at things that we were doing in you know 1800s or early 1900s mm-hmm. that we would never do now. So yeah, believe in science, but know that science is imperfect as well. So people that get yeah. prescribed these medications based on whatever the, you know environmental factors or their diet or whatever they're experiencing that's going to affect their psyche. So psych meds are just like anything else. If you get zooted on uh, Jack Daniels, like uh, Jamie and Jack or whatever, like everyone else is today on uh, at the pubs and you're going to lose those fine motor skills. So, you know, it's like when you see a drunk with the keys trying to get into the car 
it's like anything else. They're going to lose their fine motor skills. So their hands are going to be doing weird things. Like, you know, you see like junkies, you know, obviously in Seattle, you, you know, um, well-versed yeah. with junkies yeah. where you could see someone standing upright <laughs> yeah. and then they start falling and you're like, Oh wow, this guy's going to fall in his face. And then boom, he pops right back up. Like, you know, like a weeble wobble type thing. So the body just does weird things that mind body connection. Well, right. And then, like you said, the SSRIs, I know a lot of those, um, medication she was taking, but she had lower dosage than what she was supposed to be taking. And I know if you come off of those things too soon, if you just stop taking them, it really screws up your brain chemistry. You're not supposed to do that. Um, if you come off the SSRIs or you, you want to, you know, lower down or, uh, phase them out, you have to come off them slowly. You can't just stop taking them. Or I think that's maybe what happened is that yeah, because disastrous results. Yeah. I mean, you see it all the time with people, you know, like, Hey, I feel great. You know, let me, uh, I don't need these anymore. Yahoo. I'm cured. And then we see what happens. So, right. No, I saw that I used to work in a, that was on my internship in college. I had to work in a mental hospital. So I saw a lot of that. And it is weird because you'll see these people that are hallucinating and they're not on drugs, but it seems like they're on drugs. Like I remember this one guy, he was like looking in the mirror and like, he was like calling me dad or something. I mean, it was really spooky, but I mean, he he was totally hallucinating and it was just, it was mental illness. Yeah. And so do you think with that, with this case, like, do you think she, I still understand why she climbed into the water tank. Was she trying to escape maybe the voices or things that she was seeing or was she like trying to hide? Yeah. I mean, you kind of you know, talking about childhood, like reverting back to childhood, you know, like playing hide and seek. Mm. So if you've seen things that scare you, you want to hide from that. And if you have a history, I believe it's been out there in open source information that she had a history of, um, you know, secreting herself in places when she was going through these, um, you know, these episodes. Mm. And so that's something that's a place to hide. You know, you've seen demons out there, you want to get away from them. Unfortunately, he picked, um, you know, a water tower where the water fluctuates and, and, uh, when you lose, uh, you know, fine motor skills and, and fully functioning brain, I mean, disastrous results. I mean, people, so you don't think she was sleeping. Yeah. You don't think she was trying to kill herself. You think she was maybe trying to hide. And then, cause once you get in that thing, is there, is it easy to get out? I would think it'd be hard to climb out of it. Is there a ladder in it or something? Or how, I mean, how do you get out? If, if you could, you, I mean, she maybe just could never get out. Right. Well, I mean, you, um, you know, it's dark, you know, depending on, you know, the, what time and as the water's going up and down, I mean, it's just, you know, it wasn't meant for swimming. So it's very unorthodox position that you've been in. Is there a ladder I, though, that where you could come in and out or no, there's a ladder going up to the, you know, in the external, on the outside, but once you're inside, how do you get out? You can't, right. I mean, you're just stuck. Okay. Um, yeah. So so, it's kind of like, you know, almost like being in a, in a washing machine, you know, dishwasher type of thing. So that's kind of, seems like it would be a scary way to die, but I think, uh, I don't know if it was you or somebody in the documentary said she didn't suffer maybe only 10 to 15 seconds of before she drowned. Yeah, it does doesn't take long to pass out. Yeah. Oh, you just pass out and then you just kind of go to yeah, sleep. You just, yeah. You're losing oxygen. You know? Okay. Your, your body just shuts down. Okay. So explain, I don't know if you can answer this one, but this was something I was curious about when I watched that documentary, people are drinking this water. Is it bad to drink uh, dead body water or what? How does that affect like a human? Well, I don't know who's drinking tap water in, you know, in 20, in the 21st century. Anyway, I was like, wherever you are, you know, being, you know, the Ritz Carlton or whatever, you know, six star place in 
the Middle East, who, I mean, who's drinking from the faucet? Well, I do I mean, when I brush my teeth at night, I brush my teeth and then I, you know, right. drink some water to rinse it out. Yeah. Okay. Should I not do that? Am I, am I might be drinking dead body water. Well, it's just, you know, you know, uh, oh, oh, resources nowadays, uh, aren't the best, you know, depending on your, you know, structure, you know, your pipes, how old your infrastructure is, but right. yeah, it might be good to rinse and spit it out. But that's how they but, noticed it. Right. Because they either tasted or smelled the water. Or... And or I think just when you see brown water coming out before you even, besides even just drinking tap, yeah. or seeing brown water, like maybe I shouldn't drink this. So I, I don't know what was going on with, uh, with those, uh, people over there from the UK, maybe they have just a different standard, but, uh, yeah. you know, can you get sick? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's uh, like food poisoning. I mean, okay. people can almost die from that. Yeah. So. But from water, I mean, but humans are resilient. You know, we can get sick, but we're not going to die from it. You know, it might get yeah. diarrhea or something like, you know, when you go to Mexico and, you know, Montezuma's revenge type of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. get an upset stomach, but from a dead body, yeah, I mean, I can see anything disastrous, really. Okay. So, yeah. So, I mean, there's all these like weird theories. I think they just touched on some of them in the movie, but some people think there was like supernatural forces at play. Like she was possessed. There was a theory about her being a biological weapon who, who infected the homeless with tuberculosis. Like, do you guys, inv- did they investigate some of these things at all? Or, I mean, is it just kind of like, you know, it's so ridiculous. They don't even take a look at that. I mean, that's, that's the thing with the internet. I mean, it's such a high volume of material coming at you from, from so many different sources. You, you don't have the time to look into it. You know, all these type of wacky things. So, I mean, you could, you could, once time settles and you could start, you know, picking through some of these things that might be more viable, but man, I mean, when something goes viral on the internet and there's so many platforms, mm-hmm. it's impossible to keep up with any of that. I mean, we, when a big investigation like that happens, uh, you know, they set up a, like a, a tip line. So we have uh, mm-hmm. detectives, they call clue clowns, right. they sit there and answering the phones or, emails or whatever that's coming through the pipeline and have to run these things down. So, but I mean, all the conspiracy stuff uh, with like the zip codes and all that stuff. I mean, Wait, what was the to, thing with the zip codes? I don't remember that. Oh boy. I, I would have to go back and watch it. I mean, <laughs> there was something about something with the zip code. I mean, it was some people putting connecting dots of things that didn't exist, but yeah, that kind of, you know, that were interesting anyway, that were just unbelievable. I mean, some people have some, crazy imagination of, of, um, you know, th- this biochemical was made in this zip code and, uh, where she was from here. And then, you know, so, so do you think that's all just coincidence or do you think some of that's, do you, are you familiar with the term synchronicity? Yeah. Yeah. Or it could kind of be like implicit bias type of things. Like, you know, say you can get for as many things you can connect, say two or three coincidence. Yeah. And then you could, have, you know, a hundred others that don't line up. So, you know, which ones are right, which ones are, which ones are wrong. I mean, as an investigator, you know, if you had the luxury of looking down every lead, you want to do that and you don't want to get locked into a theory, mm-hmm. but I mean, just things happen. I mean, if you, if you want something to fit into a box, someone can make it fit into a box. Yeah. So with those coincidences, it was the death was originally ruled an accidental, uh, no, I'm sorry. It was originally marked undetermined. And then they crossed it out and put accidental. Does do those kinds of errors? Does that just happen a lot? Is that just another coincidence that it didn't really mean anything? Yeah, I mean human error. I mean you just some guy that's exhausted is checking off boxes and I oh shit I hit the wrong one I just checked off the wrong one. 
So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're just humans. We're imperfect. And if we're men, we're really imperfect. You know? <laughs> so I tell my girl, like, don't expect much. Just a man. <laughs> That's and, funny. Uh, you know, you, you know, you're dealing with guys that are working long hours and stressful conditions. And right. Things, things get overlooked. Um, things, uh, mistakes happen. And, uh, but what you got to look at is the totality of the, of the circumstances, mm-hmm. you know, all these little, little, um, weirdo conspiracy things that happen, but you know, those are just little outliers. If, if someone wants to drive some type of particular narrative where we're looking at when we're making an assessment of a situation and a validated opinion is the totality, totality of yeah. everything. And you, and you can't, you know, if you come up with a good package, you do a thorough investigation, like, all right, this is what we think happened. And you can't, you know, dispute so, something like that. Yeah. But so the guy, well, you can. yeah, the guy whose job it was to check the roof, did he get fired after this? Because 19 days she'd been there the whole time. Right. I mean, that's, isn't that kind of a big screw up in hindsight? You know, people think, you know, the old hindsight's, you know, 2020. Yeah. But again, as humans, what, what are we looking for? Has anyone ever been found in a water tower? You know, like I can't think of any, Yeah. but uh, after this, yeah, people, have, that'll be something they look a, for searching mm-hmm. a rooftop. Now you are going to look for that. So it's a good lesson learned. But before that, there was no blueprint for that. And again, we're just humans and we're, we're connecting those dots that we've seen over and over again. And yeah, we're, we're looking, you know, we're looking in, in rooms, we're like, you're looking in cars, we're looking at closets. So that's the and, first, and that's kind of what makes this unusual uh, case. Also the, the video. And so that's what was another thing I was going to ask you. The video was altered or whatever, right? They said the time is that done just so you can release it to the media. So there's not like dead air in it. Uh, is that, was that what they said on that? I, I don't know that. Yeah. They said that they, that the, the, um, the, the videos are sometimes altered when they release it to the media. And so I assumed it okay. was because maybe there was just like okay. a spot where it was just nothing was happening. And so it's like, well, we want this video to be shorter for the media so they yeah, can, for the news. Yeah. Cause you're okay. going to get like a two, two minute shot on there. So you want to maybe condense it. Okay. And then, and then a lot of times it's just crappy video that just, it's malfunctioning. Oh. And it's just not high quality. Okay. I wish it was like in the movies where we could pull up video instantaneously. Usually it's, it takes time to download all that stuff to, mm-hmm. to get access to the guy that even has it. And if he, he knows how to do it and then a timestamps are always wrong because they don't, they're not calibrating it. So okay. yeah, videos are great, but they're also, you know, they're not perfect. Yeah. Like a, so for you, this, this case, I mean, besides these, all these weird little coincidences, I mean, it's really kind of an open and shut case for, for you because you've seen a lot of these kinds of cases on skid row with people with mental illness and or drug issues do something. And it's an accidental death like that. I mean, it happens. You've seen that a lot, right? Yeah. It's just, you know, your average, unfortunately average case is just in a different setting with different people Mm -hmm. um, that you're not used to, you know? And so that, that plays with our mind. So we, we always think it's gotta be more to it. It can't be, you know, it can't be what we normally see. Can't be this. Do you think, so you think part of it's people want to believe there was some sort of supernatural thing or she was a bioweapon or something because it's more fun and exciting? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's that, you know, snuff film aspect to it sort of, you know, yeah. where it's people, again, they, they forget that this is a, a real victim and with the real family members out there. So, mm-hmm. you know, but to them, it's just, you know, kind of disposable entertainment. It's fun. Hmm. And, you know, I mean, just part of, 
who we are as a reflection of society, how we desensitize we are to violence, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just tragic circumstances. And I, I kind of like this documentary, of course, it kind of tells a lesson and various lessons and tales, but then there's some other documentaries out there that are just really just like shock factor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, more so what are, thing, which, what are the lessons from this? What do you think the lessons are? Well, I think, you know, the, the one we definitely discussed about, you know, online behavior, mm-hmm. you know, is it, is it our right to, you know, destroy someone's career just based on their appearance? I mean, as, mm-hmm. as we're looking at everything through a black and white lens, you know, uh, it's just a human lens. It should be, it's like, you know, what gives you the right for you to profile and the, the legal authority, if you have any of destroying someone's life with very minuscule evidence and, to look at yourself internally as, like I said, of being humble and honest and thinking that maybe even though one plus one equals two, maybe, you know, to take a step back and think, well, maybe I'm not right. You know, let me look at it from a different angle. Let me not invest all this emotional uh, energy. Let me look at it more analytically instead of emotionally. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's a, and then as part of uh, the, the human aspect of when you see people in turmoil and, um, don't dispose of them just because they're a stranger. Maybe try to go the extra mile trying to get in, get get someone help, even though, you know, they're a stranger to you. I mean, they're still human. So do you think somebody could have helped her? Like, I mean, did someone see her in this state or there's no witnesses, right? No, I mean, as far as, you know, as, as she was uh, mentally decompensating, right. You know, oh, like, like the roommates, roommates and, and stuff, and everything yeah. else. People, there were uh, signs, obviously. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There's always signs of, but, you know, just taking that extra, you know, going that extra uh, mile to somebody that you don't know of possibly getting in touch with a family member and, and, um, doing, do, you know, being a good person, basically. Do you, you know? do that a lot so, as, a, as a cop? Do you go above and beyond with, and helping people? Cause I, I mean, you do more than just, you know, I know cause I work with cops in the schools and I, I've seen them, you know, work with families and kids and, they do like counseling too. They don't just go over and arrest people and throw them in jail and then move on to the next person. Right. I mean, the arrest should be your last resort, you know, same thing with a firearm or violence, whatever. That's, that's the last thing you want to do. Mm-hmm. The first thing you want to do is, is help that person to correct their behavior, put them back on the path. So have I done that all the time? Absolutely not. Do I want to do that all the time? Absolutely. Yes. So, um, even you know, more so than ever. Yeah. So you can, let's uh, talk. as you go through the years, you get, yeah. you, know, you become hopefully a better person and therefore a better professional uh, in your craft. Yeah. And, um, and that's the ultimate goal of keeping somebody out of jail. Not, not a rat, you know, not, not seeing that cycle over and over again. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, it sounds like you're trying to be a good person. You're trying to be a good cop. So how did you feel over this summer with all this stuff going on and the protests and the, I mean, I've never heard this, defund the police movement. All cops are bastards. I mean, there was just so much anti-police stuff and I'm not saying every cop is perfect it stood for all cats are beautiful. <laughs> Wasn't that, I know you're a cat guy. So, so I am. I. Yeah. I, yeah. I, good I, thought, I thought that's what that was. No. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's gotta be upsetting, but you also said that, um, you know, this has exposed some of your blind spots that, you know, maybe you had with yourself or with your unit and it's actually made you a better cop. Absolutely. Whenever there's chaos and turmoil, I see that as a challenge. So when someone's sending out a message or if I'm sending out a message and they're not receiving it, 
I, I take the ownership that it's me. I'm doing something wrong. What could I change within myself to make them see what I'm trying to portray? So that affected affected me personally and professionally of, okay, let's, what we're doing as a profession, it's, it's not landing with a certain segments of society, whether it's real or imagined, a figment mm-hmm. of imagine, imagination, it's still something that's, uh, they're putting out that energy that something's wrong. So let's approach the problem from a, a different angle. And yeah. it's part of, you know, that cycle of, yeah. no, I'm doing what's right. I'm going to keep on doing it. It's like, all right, I think I'm doing what's right. But I'm not. We're not getting the same results. So let me try something different. Let me step back, detach emotionally from the situation, and hit it at a different angle and flank it. Yeah, maybe there needs to be some sort of like community outreach or something. Because I mean, I actually learned a lot from some of this stuff. I mean, like again, I see the defund the police and all cops are bastards, and it's like you kind of like like what? And then, but then when you hear some of these people's stories. You know, I never knew about that black families, like they have the talk about police. I mean, I, I guess I'm just a naive white person. I had no idea what that was, that that's like a thing that a lot of black people go through and that, you know, they, they're kind of taught not to trust the police because of some of the history there. So like, how do we mend sure. these fences? And, and it sounds like you want to make things better and you want to be a better cop. Do you feel like that? Is that a lot of what's, um, you know, the, uh, the, the group consensus and the LAPD? Yeah, I mean, that's one of our core values is, uh, you know, constant and continuous improvement um, goes on and on, but there's a whole bunch of different core values. But I believe that like every day at the, end of the, at the end of my job, I think, all right, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? And what can I do better? So as a department, you're always striving to achieve those goals and never rest on your laurels, never rest on your reputation and earn your badge every day. So that's what I profess for myself. And my team that I'm with and try to put out there to the younger generation. So you got to acknowledge, are we perfect? No. You know, do we strive for that? Yes. And, but we have a long way to go. Like I think anyone does in their personal life. Uh, I've yet to meet the perfect person that says, Oh, everything I'm doing, yeah. is where I want to be in life. And so we're just with like anything else. We're just uh, a part of society that needs to get better. And, and that's what we're trying to do. So yeah, so I, do- I recognize that. Yeah. Do you see racism in the LAPD? Do you think it's like a really, really bad problem? Or do you think it's more just like you said, kind of like these blind spots where cops are going, oh, I didn't think of it like from that perspective. Not that they're trying to go out there and going, okay, I'm going to go kill some black people, right? Because I think that's in the media, that's some of the portrayals or these cops are out to get black people. Right. Yeah, that's kind of um, the narrative that's being pushed out. I mean, what I see on a, you know, after 25 years in this profession is guys that want to do some really hard work and, um, you know, have to uh, have a good time doing it and then go home on time to their family and then start over again. You know, I've, I think I've met one person that's, yeah, I want to get into a shooting and we shut that guy down real fast. He's a young guy, you know, full of piss and vinegar. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm like, Hey, no, you don't, that's the last thing you want. And here's why. And then once we, showed them what, what the effects are of being in an officer-involved shooting and the ramifications and, you know, the layers that are involved in that, you got tightened up real quick. Mm. So for every, you know, one of those guys, you know, you, you know, um, you have a million other guys. I, I mean, I could tell you how many times I've, I've could have um, killed somebody, but did it and took that extra couple of seconds or just, you know, it worked, worked out the problem where I didn't, I could have been legally justified and, many times and uh, spared the person's life uh, due to, due to my training and experience and, and 
and coming up with alternate situations and solutions. So, oh, that's great. Way more cops that could tell you how many times they could have pulled the trigger, but just no one hears about those things. So, right, that's that's not a good news story. But one thing that was a good news story, I want to get your take on this one. You you must have seen that video of the guy in Buffalo, the old man. So he gets right up in the cop's face, and the cop pushes him down. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I'm curious on your take on that. Like, is he in the wrong for getting up in the cop's face or is a cop in the wrong for shoving down the old man or are they both in the wrong? Or, I mean, could the cop have handled that one better or what would you have done? I think they both could have handled that better. It's like, you know, if you're going into a shark tank, you're going to get, you might get bit by a shark. So yeah, um, you, was he, was he wrong? Get into his, you know, in someone's face, you know, that's, that's debatable. You know, can he, can he legally shove that man? Yeah, when you're presented in the black and white of you know force meet, meets force, hmm. uh, yeah, he, he could have, hmm. should he have, should ha, should have, should he have? No, I don't think so. It's like, come on, it's an old yeah. guy. Just hey, I got you know, grab him, bring him to the side, right? Deal with him, and the guys move on in the skirmish line. So it's a uh, uh, justified, but you know, um, there's a saying that we say. Uh, but yeah, anyway, it's okay. legally justified, but it's it's not morally. You know, it's like, come on. Right. It's an old man. I agree. Let's yeah. Get serious here. But some guys, you know, based on their training expertise, the, the fear level, like anything else, we, yeah. we've we got top performers and we got bottom performers. And then everyone else, like me, we're somewhere swimming in the middle. Mm-hmm. Sure. That guy, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, you might have, you know, tensed up. He, he was uh, in fear. This guy's in front of him and, you know, screaming and yelling and he let the emotions get him. He's like, oh. Boom, banging them. Mm-hmm. And, but that's, that's not how we do business uh, for the most part. And I, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't have that on my line. And, um, you know, we got to look out for even someone's acting crazy, but are they capable of doing more? You know, mm. so it, it's a, it's all a balanced test. Yeah. But for sure. So with like you, you worked know, the skid row and stuff, and there's a lot of drugs and all that. How, I'm just curious, like what you think about all this, like, um, legalization of weed. Cause I know it's legal in California. They just legalized it here. Um, and I see, and I, I know a lot of people that smoke weed and it's like not a big thing, but I know that also that I, um, I worked with a lady whose husband was a police officer and she was, he was very against it. So I'm just curious what your take is. Do you think that's going to be good for society or bad? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I'm, I'm all for, you know, smoke, fuck listen whatever do whatever you want yeah um as long as it doesn't affect anyone else okay okay you know, I'm, I'm liberal on that side but then on the, the other side I'm, I'm, at, I'm looking at it through the lens of is this good for society mm-hmm. are we um are we are we improving society or are we uh, bringing it down so i kind of look at it as like a diet um is uh can i is it legal to eat uh you know, 10 cheeseburgers at once. Yeah. Um, should you do it? No. <laughs> so yeah. is, you know, is, is, um, promoting, you know, legal drug use, uh, for, you know, generations to come. Is that the way we want society to go? I don't know. I mean, uh, you tell me, I mean, is it, is it, is it going to enhance us as a nation is, uh, let me look at it as uh, like different uh, nations that we're going up against is, is, uh, China, are they promoting marijuana? is, um, you know, that's an interesting look at, yeah. What are we looking at? I mean, um, but do you think a lot of the problems in skid row, is it, or is it people on weed or is it's gotta be harder drugs mostly that you're seeing there? Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, when you deal with drugs, you're trying to escape for the most part, 
you're trying to escape some kind of situation to have a brief momentary lapse of whatever that you're going through. I think if you live in a fulfilled life, you don't need those. Those are crutches. Mm-hmm. If, um, when you, when you really look at it, cause I can only say it through my lens yeah, you know, sure. of, uh, of drinking and whatever. And it's like, did I really need that? Did it enhance anything that did, did it add quality? Not really. If I'm being honest with myself. So you don't drink or you drink occasionally or no, not anymore. No, I've, huh. uh, gave wow. it up and went straight edge for like the last, uh, two and a half years or so. Okay. And so, so I could look at both sides of my life and it's like, it didn't enhance anything that, you know, it, ruin relationships and what have you. So really, and it, you know, unhealthy, I mean, it's, it didn't do my body any good. So it was like, is now I, I think of it as going to make me stronger, you know, faster, smarter. If not, I, I don't need it. Huh. I'm not going to put, I'm not going to digest it, whether it's, you know, mental diet, reading, you know, writing, um, whatever else I'm, I'm ingesting, you know, mentally, Okay, I, you have to look at, you know, if you start going down a rabbit hole on, you know, hateful things on the internet or whatever, you know, trolling mm. or things that are just unhealthy. That's just the same as whatever you're ingesting in your body. So hmm. that's so a good uh, outlook. I like that. That's yeah. that's really so, interesting. Um, so it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a quagmire. It's yeah. Like, yeah. I don't want to see people arrested for marijuana. I mean, uh, right. you know, it's not a hard drug, but yeah. you know, heroin and cocaine and do we want that for our, you know, for a society? Think that's going to be it's going to benefit us? I don't know about that. It, I saw the dirt yeah. with a uh, you know Motley Crue doing coke. I don't think that worked out too well. well I, I mean, I guess, I guess they're they're still alive, but there's a lot of other stories of people doing it that that didn't end up so well. Right, right. I mean, look at Kurt. You know, I mean, look how many yeah. uh, great Nirvana albums that we uh, missed <sighs> out on. I know. And unfortunately, now we have to listen to Foo Fighters songs. <laughs> that's not so bad. I like Foo Fighters. <laughs> no, no, no. I'd love to have Dave Grohl on. That'd be amazing. Dave Grohl's awesome. Yeah. He's like almost too nice of a guy. He must be an alien. Yeah. Amazing. Right. I have never seen someone so nice, genuinely nice. What, yeah. What a good dude he appears to be. Yeah. So besides drugs, what about, and this is a tough question I know, but, um, and I don't want to get political really, but just as a member of law enforcement, like what is your take on these mass shootings or just shootings in general? Like how do we solve this issue? Is is taking all the guns away in America, is that a realistic option at this point in our society? Because I feel like there's so many guns, it would almost be impossible. And that would mean just the criminals have the guns. Or is this one more of a mental health issue as well? Yeah, you nailed it. It's it's a mental health issue wrapped into a Second Amendment issue. You know, as Americans, we love, you know, covering up other problems and then and diagnosing as something else and denying what the problem really is. I mean... If you watch TV for more an hour, I mean, you see all these, you know, um, different pills that are being offered for every different type yeah. of problem. I mean, even during COVID, it's like, how about we have a discussion about, you know, living a healthy lifestyle to mitigate COVID instead of hiding in your house? Like, hey, right. let's, let's take a look at how we are as a society. Again, the obesity just through the roof. I mean, like real problems, but no, you can't fat shame anyone. It's like, well, if you don't fat shame someone or, you know, you don't, I'm saying shame them, but address obesity and, and say, yeah, it's not all right to be fat. It's, a, you know, you're going to die. You're going to live a short, you're going to have a shorter life. Be, be real. You first you have to acknowledge that problem. Don't hide it. So, right. I think there's a difference between shaming someone and making them feel bad and, and, but also encouraging them to, to live a healthier lifestyle and to, 
to lose weight and uh, be healthy. And I mean, especially like uh, I just had uh, the uh, the song parody guy from Howard Stern, Little Mikey, and he said like yeah. he had uh, he had diabetes, and they threat they said that we're gonna have to cut your toes off. And so that's when he goes, right. okay, I think I'm gonna start eating healthy and uh, get in shape and lose weight. And so, I mean, you know, so there is. Yeah, we don't want to fat shame. Being a few pounds overweight or whatever, that's different than, you know, being to the point where you're having diabetes and stuff and having these medical issues. It's scary. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and then it comes to the you know, that amputation is the, the school shooting or whatever yeah. shooting of the day that someone goes off. It's like that's what Americans need. We need that that that, that berserker mode for some reason to have real change. And you have to address it <sighs> way before that. Yeah, for so. sure. So, um, yeah, before we wrap up, you do got to tell me this, the guns and roses story. Cause it's pretty awesome that you were hanging out, uh, backstage with Axl Rose. Oh yeah. Yeah. And man, I mean, what a, you know, growing up on uh, appetite for destruction, I mean, it's all time classics. I mean, yeah. that one album just disappeared forever, but, uh, yeah, through the years I got to meet my, my partner, uh, rested slash, um, speaking of drugs, he was, oh, really? Uh, I guess his thing was heroin and uh, some girl that he linked up with his uh, girlfriend at the time um, uh, got some uh, speed and he thought he was uh, injecting heroin, but it was really speed. So he just went berserk. Oh, know, shit. His mind tore the place up and beat the shit out of her. So he ended up getting arrested for that. It was no like discretion. But since, uh, you know, he was a fan of uh, GNR, you know, try to make it a soft landing, you know, and try to keep it out of the news or whatever, mitigate the blowback, or whatever. And him and his management were really appreciative of that. And they said, hey, if you know, don't take Slash at face value of what he's done. You know, he's actually, you know, a very kind, generous soul, which we found out. And he's like, he actually is, you know, a um, fan of law enforcement and this and that and military. So, hey, uh, next time you're in town, you know, link up with us and uh, we'll go hang out. So we got to hang out with Slash and the girl that he was with at the time. Oh. And, uh we got to meet them and, uh, and it was funny. And he's, uh, he was like, Hey, let me introduce you to my friends. And he's you know, introducing me and my partner. And then he's like, and she's like, Oh, where'd you meet them? And he's like, think he's like, you know, reality said, and he's like, uh, at the DMV. <laughs> and, you know, like, yeah, yeah. At the DMV. That's it. Huh. <laughs> and she's like, Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're getting a party, uh, like rock stars with slash and all that. And then fast forward to, uh, the dissolution of GNR in the core group. And it was during the Chinese democracy era. And uh, they played a house of blues on the sunset strip. This phenomenal show just you played something ridiculous. I think like three hours and 20 minutes. So one of my buddies was doing security at the house of blues. So he was like, Hey, you know, get you to meet Axel Rose and all that. I'm like, Yo, let's go. We're in. Yeah. And um, so we're just milling about, I thought it would never happen. You know, he's got all his Brazilian handlers and all that back there. And then, but, um, he was doing his, uh, um, not the warm up, but like a cool down. You could hear him in the back doing his scales and all that. I mean, oh, wow. to pull off a three hour plus show. I mean, guy's a consummate professional. Yeah. And, uh, so he's doing his cool down and he came out, showered, and then he was just hanging out. And it seemed to be like he was the type of individual, like no one really wanted to engage with him because they didn't know probably at the time where he was at mentally, you know, he's kind of a loose cannon. And so, you know, he's like kind of looking around for someone to talk to. And then uh, we just, you know, made eye contact like, hey, what's up, Axel? How you doing? And he's like, oh, great. You know, how, you know, how was the show and all that? And then <laughs> we just went off from there. And hey, what do you guys do for a living? And we tell him. And then since I worked at NYPD, I knew the precincts and uh, where he got arrested. 
I think he had a, I think he had a, got popped for a gun going into JFK or whatever. So <sighs> we, um, bullshitted about that. And then the difference is we had like an open discussion. He's like, not for nothing, but, uh, um, you know, the cops in NYPD and LAPD, I'm like, stop. I, I already know where you're going. Yes. I, you're right. And so we, you know, we bonded over that. He likes the NYPD things. better or LAPD better. It's different. Yeah. Like NYPD, I call it, um, we, we were like a softball team with guns, oh. <laughs> way more pro- professional, not professional, uh, blue collar, I should say. Okay. You know, just very, you know, low key, uh, and you know, just knock around guys, you could say. Okay. Whereas in LAPD, it's more, you know, very professional and mm. you know, more paramilitary hmm. and, you know, very serious. Interesting. So he had a different opinion of them. So I, I knew that immediately Interesting. off the bat when he, when he was going through the dichotomy of the, you know, the profession. So, I mean, we ended up talking about everything, Elton John, and, you know, he's playing different music for us. I mean, just a, just an enormous, uh, great encounter. It went on for, for a long time. And then he, uh, then he said, Hey, you know, we're going to take the party back to my pad down in Malibu. You guys want to hang out? And, you know, you're like trying to play it cool. I'm looking at my buddy. Um, <laughs> Hang out with Axel Rose. Um, I think I might have, you know, I have a couple of, t- you know, hours to kill. Uh, you know, it's like by this time, it's like, you know, it's like six in the morning or something ridiculous. And uh, like, yeah, sure. And then. He's not tired. Like, is he, what, is he doing speed? How does he stay up that late? Or at the time he was, I mean, that was, that was his thing. That's how he would show up late all the time. He's just a night owl. That's how he's. Oh, tired, okay. You know? Yeah. That makes sense. And uh, so he just, yeah, thrives at that, uh, at that, in those hours, but no, he was clean. He was lucid and, hmm. you know, looked great and, uh, you know, refreshed and was firing on all cylinders. But didn't so. he get, then didn't he get mad at you or he got mad because you asked him for uh, yeah. an autograph? Yeah. So I knew like once the, once the party went to his house, who knows if we would see him again, if right. finally go to sleep or whatever. So I'm like, I uh, had, had my like original first um, stub. I kept all my stubs from every show I went to. So like the first show I saw them at was at uh, MSG Madison square garden. So I'm like, Hey, Axel, you mind? Uh, I got my original ticket, which I ended up getting like slash and Duff to sign down the road. And I said, Hey, do you, um, is it possible to get your uh, autograph for this, um, this ticket stub? He's like, yeah, sure. Of course. He's like, you got a pen. And I'm like, the one time I didn't have a pen, of course, like Murphy's Law. I'm like, God right. damn it. I'm like, no, I don't. You know, I keep a pen everywhere. And uh, he's like, oh, okay. He's like, and he starts looking around. He's like, hey, does anyone have a pen? And everyone's silent. And then he brings it up a couple of more notches. Hey, does any, anyone have a pen? Crickets. Then the third time. Hey, has anyone got a pen? All I need is a fucking pen. He sounded like, kind of like Mike from Suicidal pen- Tendencies. He's like, all I want is a Pepsi. Like <laughs> all Axel wanted was a goddamn. Oh. So all his handlers are scrambling, they're lifting things, throwing, like trying to find a friggin' pen. And now we see the real Axel that we we thought was gonna, you know, we were gonna that we heard about in the news and all that in the media. And we're like, no, 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 we're like Axel, it's all right. I don't need their autograph. He's like, no, 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 I just fucking need a pen. And then he just completely, you know, just went off the deep ends and um and then just started just tearing up the, the backstage looking for a pen. Huh. And that was the, that was the end of it. He's like, I'm out of here. I can't believe this. You know, he just completely just, you know, dressed down his, uh, his people and all that. And then threw on his clothes. He's like, I'm fucking out of here. You know, just like in the old days when you drop the mic, you know, and yeah. hit him with a bottle or something, right. Just said, just said the hell he was out of here and just stormed off. We're like, I look at my buddy, I'm like, Oh, <laughs> we blew it. Damn it. <laughs> That's still cool. That you got to hang out with him for a little while though. Yeah, it was. It was a what? Long so, time. what year was this? Great. Chinese democracy so it was like 2010 or 12 or. I want to say uh, 
yeah, had to be in, yeah. Yeah, I think he's calmed down a lot since then even, it seems like. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's on time all the time now. Yeah, yeah. He plays even longer shows. I've seen him yeah. you know, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Played three hours and 40 minutes. I mean, insane. I mean, the guy's a machine. For one sure. One of a kind. And the, the rest of the guys in the GNR camp are just yeah. unbelievable. Duff's yeah. an awesome guy. I really yeah. want to interview Axel. That's like my number one like on my bucket list is to, I, I think that'd be so because he doesn't do interviews. So it's like to get no, that interview he, would be amazing. Yeah. Eddie trunk got a little bit of it, right. You know, uh, did he? Yeah. He got a little bit backstage or somewhere, okay. but uh, you know, it's almost like there's so many, there's so much access to everybody nowadays. Yeah. It's good to have like that. Still that, that Howard Hughes element to yeah. rock, some rock guys. I mean, I think it's cool. You know, I mean, it, yeah. I mean, you, you know, selfishly, yeah, I, I want to see that interview if you get that. Right. I want to hear it. Yeah. But then there's that part of me of like, you know, it's good to have some things that are mystery. You know? Sure. It's, um, sure. It's like being at a strip club after like five minutes, you, know, you see 20 <laughs> naked women, you're just talking to your buddy, like, yeah. Yeah, whatever, no factor. But when you see a girl dressed really, you know, maybe conservative, just a little thing peeking out or whatever, you're like, that captivates your attention <laughs> way longer. Yeah, no, that's so, true. That's a good so point. The lore of Axel having a Twitter and only putting out a tweet, you know, once, uh, once in a lifetime here yeah. and there is way better than the guy that's tweeting every day. True. So. Definitely. Oh, I agree with that. I, oh, I hate Twitter. I, we could talk a whole episode about that, but <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much for doing this. This is so much fun. I like, I do like to end with a charity though. Is there a charity that you want to highlight here or promote? Absolutely. There's a charity called America's mighty warriors.org. And it's a charity by a woman named, uh, um, is, uh, she's the mother of a fallen Navy SEAL called Mark Lee. Okay. So we call her, uh, call her Mama Lee. So I'm friends with a lot of Navy SEALs and um, do anything, do everything I can to give back to the veteran community. That's my roots from my family lineage and all that. Oh. So what they do with their money is it's pretty interesting. The money that she raises, Mama Lee, uh, she gives it back to veterans that are, you know, say PTSD or other medical problems that traditional medicine hasn't, it hasn't worked. Like um, even talk, it goes back to the drug angle of the decriminalizing now hallucinogenic. So they're doing a lot of things with yeah. mushrooms and mm -hmm. peyote and all these other things. So there's a lot of alternative things that cost a lot of money in, uh, in the medical profession that our veterans don't have access to, you know, the VA won't authorize certain things. So that's screwed she's up. steered a lot of, she's uh, funded a lot of things that, helped uh people i know and uh to get them back on track to rewire that's their, great their body the endocrine system and all that so that's awesome it's, it's, yeah so okay yeah check i'll put out that in the notes mighty america's mighty warrior.org okay yeah. yes and then um how can people what's the best way for people to follow you like knock on on instagram or or yeah you know? just uh instagram's fun okay knocko k-n-o-c-k-o or you know twitter how favorite uh oh yeah Axel Rose's favorite platform, yeah. <laughs> Nako Nolan. Okay. And uh, yeah, so roll over the interwebs if you have uh, police-related questions or uh, GNR-related questions. Yeah, that was fun. I like that story. Continue the conversation and uh, shoot the shit. Yeah, this was amazing. I, I was like on the edge of my seat this whole, like all your, I love hearing all your uh, views on all this stuff because I've never had, interviewed a police person. So this is really fun for me. It's a, this is like the first like music related thing that I've, I think I've done, which is great because, you know, that's music's my life. That's my foundation. Yeah. I have that's, a, that, that's, have my, a of, that's my medicine. Yeah, for sure. You check out some of my other uh, interviews and I've, I've interviewed a lot I of did. musicians. Oh, did cool. cool. I just finished the one with AC, which I felt uh, that was really great. Oh, great. I'm glad you enjoyed that. Really, 
really interesting guy and I'm going to download, or I already did download the Steve Stevens one because he's from oh, Queens, New York. Yeah, that's a good he's one. He's one of my favorite guitarists. Yeah, he's that, great. Uh, I love him. You know, the stuff that he did with Terry Bozio and all those little side projects yes. is fascinating. I agree. So, I, love yeah, the, yeah. I love the album with Vince Neil, which I think I'm in the minority on that one, but I, I rave about yeah, that, that one. Wasn't, yeah, I mean, anything he touches is great. Uh, yeah. I want to hear the Don Jameson one he did with DJ. I want to hear the one that you did with Ronnie Keel because he was in Steeler. Oh, yeah, that was uh, a fun Ingve one. J. Malmstein. Yeah. And then, of course, the Rudy Sarzo. And then I loved it. I'm a, I play bass too. So I love Dave Ellison. And oh, yeah. Little side, side projects. I want to hear the Megadeth stuff. And yeah, cool. I was always fascinated uh, being a Guns N' Roses fan, the LA Guns. Yes. A uh, little thing when it, as it goes through the years. I mean, you interviewed Steve Riley over there from New yeah. England. Yeah. You hear all these different versions. I mean, it's like a man's soap opera. It all is. These, all, it all is. All the turmoil and all these bands. Totally. This guy's singing this. This guy's singing yeah. that. And, it's fascinating. Yeah. I love it. So it it's great. It's great. Well, thanks again so, for doing this. Doing I appreciate work. it. Thank you. That's great to hear. I'm glad. It was really fun talking to you. I listened to a few other interviews you did. So it was like all interesting stuff. So I love it. We'll have to stay in I touch. appreciate it. Absolutely. Oh, and shout out it. to Rayan too, because he helped hook this up. Yes. Yes. Shout out to Rain. Yep. Check his uh, channel out on Instagram. He's, Absolutely. Uh, doing some interesting things. Absolutely. Well, so okay. Keep up the great work. Uh, stay safe and uh, keep the faith, brother. Yeah. Appreciate all right. It. You too. See you later. Bye bye. All right. Have a good one. Cheers. Wow. I was on the edge of my seat that whole interview. So many great stories and such a great perspective on things. It's nice to get the opinion of people who are out there living the subject that you want to talk about. So I'm really glad he was able to open up. And share those things about the police and mental health and drugs and all that, all sorts of stuff. Just really entertaining. And also it makes you think, which is what the goal of this show is to entertain and educate, maybe inspire you a little bit. So I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know what you think. Should I do more interviews like this? Or what do you want to hear? Hit me up on social media or in the comments. Make sure to follow Nako to keep up with him. He has his own podcast called the Armbar Podcast, where they talk about military and jujitsu or things that are related to that. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And remember, shoot for the moon.